And at this point, oh my God, am I going to throw up. <laughs> so I don't need to know what part she's talking about. I just know, just with that, the blade comes out. The human body is not one of those stuffed animal backpacks that you can open up and put shit in and save it for later. Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams, assemble. Well, well, we once again find ourselves back in Hell's Kitchen. Indeed, and the temperature is just rising. Yes, it is. Today, we are covering episodes four through seven of Daredevil season two. And holy shit, do things get a level of brutal that really makes me wish I had a garbage can in my office right now. Hey, I warned you already. Because I'm going to be bringing some stuff up. Oh, just fabulous. Great. <laughs> well, I'll be bringing stuff up verbally. You might be physically bringing some stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> so we begin with episode four that I like to just think of as the return of the Irish. Mm -hmm. Well, they never really left. I mean, in the show. Right. They haven't left Hell's Kitchen, but we haven't seen them in a couple episodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had other stuff to deal with. Well, see, they also needed time to find the most Irish guy they possibly could uh, to play Finn here at uh, at this funeral. Uh, Conan O'Brien was busy, so they gave this guy the job. Funnily enough, the actor is Scottish. Well, they look close enough. Uh huh. I'm fully aware, everyone, that there is a huge historical difference and ethnic difference between the Scottish and the Irish, but for all intents and purposes, they can pass for one another. I think you should be a little more careful about that because you don't want to be swimming with fishes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this guy who plays Finn, Tony Curran, he is fantastic. Not only in this episode, but I've seen him in other stuff. He's amazing. He's a really good actor. Yeah, and I think he was perfectly cast for this role, too. Yeah, yeah. Whenever I see him, I think of, like, for me, if I picture Vincent Van Gogh, he's the guy I picture because he was in Doctor Who in two episodes and he played Vincent Van Gogh. He's fantastic. I can see that. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. So his role in this episode is pretty pivotal as it relates to Frank Castle's arc. So we open this episode in mourning at a funeral. Mm -hmm. We've got a blowhard here trying to, you know, gather his troops. And that's when Finn shows up. Yeah. And clearly everyone is still on edge because the minute the door opens, everyone's got their guns out. Yeah. And I also don't think he's a, super warm and cuddly guy because you could cut the tension there with a knife true yeah good thing a lot of them were dead because at the end of the meeting a lot of them would have died yeah yeah so we get two important bits of information here number one mm -hmm. frank stole finn's money right 1.2 million dollars a little bit of coin yeah yeah i'd be concerned and he also killed finn's son 
the guy lying in the coffin. Yeah, that's priority number two. And we're also going to see another guy who we'll just call Mr. Casket. <laughs> missing a hand, which we'll see later was attached to the briefcase Balamani. Right. I have one little quibble with this section. Go get your garbage can. Oh, God. <laughs> so we see the hand. That's fine. But when Finn throws the coffin over, the guy falls through and he ends up splaying himself off on the ground, which I understand, you know, the actor, he did his job and he looked convincingly dead, but he shouldn't have been able to move his arms out. He should have been in rigor mortis in the same position. Methinks you know a little bit too much about dead bodies for somebody who's not into true crime like myself. What is it with Daredevil and you making these kind of insinuations with me? <laughs> Just seems a little suspicious, that's all. Uh-huh, all right. So uh, Finn takes this opportunity to kind of not regain, but solidify his power and take out a traitor in the process and just brutally murders that blowhard uh, who seemed to be in charge. Yeah, well, solidify is a good word for it because he's using an ice pick. Yeah, God, people just love their sharp implements on this show. Yeah, but I don't know how deep it went. I mean, how was he able to kill him like that? It's a small ice pick. Unless he got the right spot in the brain. Fatal lobotomy. <laughs> He's actually a doctor. Yeah, that works. I mean, he is certainly very comfortable with making cuts on the body. Oh, yeah. As we see in the rest of the episode. So now it's time to go hunting and the Irish are able to track Frank down to this little flop hole that he's got. <gasps> Leave the dog alone. <laughs> That's all I cared about from this point on was the dog's fate. If this episode had just turned into John Wick, I'd have been fine with it. But in order for that to happen, the dog would have needed to die. <gasps> oh, well, okay. Half. John Wick Light. Is that better? That way we save the kidnapped dog, not avenge the dead dog. Uh-huh. Okay. To be fair, Frank Castle doesn't need much encouragement to be John Wick. He kind of already is. Just a little more brutal. Yeah, that's true. And I would say better motivation as much of a dog lover as I am. I think it was a little much. Yeah, well, John Wick isn't known for its plot. No. Although, I think they could take a few pointers from Frank Castle. Yes. Yes, as we will see uh, getting through these episodes. So we leave Frank, who sees the Irish now infiltrating his house. Gotta head over to deal with Matthew and Karen. Yeah, yeah, the temperature's just rising there. These two make me glad that I don't have alcohol in my home. <laughs> Why? Because they would drive me to drink. I just want to choke them both. <laughs> I have no I okay. I have no doubt either of them would overpower me, but I would still try. Yeah, I think one look from Charlie Cox would be enough to overpower you. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. Oh, I hate myself. Anyway, <laughs> Matt just keeps making these excuses for his absence. Not just like in terms of their relationship. This is about work. And yeah. this rankles me as much as the relationship. Because Karen is more than just an employee. It's not official, but she's basically an equal partner. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. In fact, I think she needs to be top billing over there. I don't think you're wrong about that, honestly. And she has every right to call his ass out here because he is not pulling his weight in their business. And that directly affects her. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you'd say that as a lawyer, he should be putting in the number of billable hours as everyone else, at least. But it's not like they have paying clients. What, bananas aren't money these days? In fantasy land, sure. <laughs> Nonetheless, the sexual tension between these two mm -hmm. is off the charts. When she's tying his tie in his apartment. <sighs> <laughs> okay, let's start counting now. This is number two, me saying I hate myself. Because uh -huh. I want to slap him in the face. And at the same time, I'm like, stop putting clothes on him. You're doing this backwards. Well, you could put the tie on and take the shirt off. Just less clothes. <laughs> and Karen divulges something here, and I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Did she mean, did she intend to mention her brother to Matt? I don't think she intended to, but it came out in conversation in a sort of light way. She momentarily forgot the baggage that comes along with that. Yeah, she seemed okay with having said it. I don't think she intended either. It just came out, but she's not sorry it did. It's kind of a test mm. in hindsight. A test for whom? Not so much a test, but an opportunity to see how Matt reacts. Okay. Because, you know, his reaction is, oh, you never told me you had a brother. And I think she has the perfect answer. You never asked. Yeah. And that tells us they really don't know anything about each other. No. And beyond that, Matt's never made any attempt to get to know her better or about her mm -hmm. past. And here's what I'm wondering. Is this because, one, he never really gave it a thought? Two, because he's so absorbed in his mission, he didn't bother? Or three, because he subconsciously or even consciously recognized another person with a secret who didn't want people prying. I think it's two and he's too involved in his own stuff. And I think a part of him also doesn't want to ask because if you ask, you get those questions back as well. Good, really good point. And then he doesn't want to divulge his stuff too. Makes sense. So now we head over to what turns out to be grotto's funeral mass no surprise there he was also catholic yeah this whole funeral thing was just stupid in what way these three i mean they were his lawyers he died he was cremated you don't need a funeral for him like like what are they trying to convey that they were so attached to him well first of all it was karen's idea to do this so let's not kind of drag Matt and Foggy into that. They were doing this for her. Okay, fair enough. But for her also, it doesn't make sense. 
I mean, she is getting so involved, they need to be pulling her back, not encouraging her by going for the funeral. But they don't know enough about Karen to understand why she's doing this, why she's pushing so hard. She, in a way, manipulates them by making them feel bad, right, about not going. He doesn't deserve to completely die alone. You know, she makes all of these moral kind of arguments about it. But what it comes down to is Karen saw herself in him very Mm -hmm. much. And I think she also feels guilty that they didn't do more. She didn't do more to get him that second chance. And I also think she's just trying to make herself feel better. Yeah, but it's just, it's not logical. No, it's not. That's my point. Nothing these guys do is logical. They are so driven by their own, well, I should say Matt and Karen are so driven by their own egos. Foggy, not so much. Foggy has other issues that play into things. But they are such emotionally driven people that you can't count on them to be logical. The one person you can count on to be logical is the man we won't see for a while yet. Yeah, true. I don't know. It just irked me. Oh, I get it. Because all of their behavior is designed to irk us. Mm -hmm. And that goes for Father Lantum, too. Because you know what, dude? If anybody's supposed to be here for the dead guy, it's you. But this sermon is entirely for Matt. Yeah, clearly. But at the same time, after the sermon, when Matt wants to talk to him, you can see that Father Lantum is actually quite tired of him. Yes, he is. What are you trying to get at? Yep, because Matt's feeling guilty. When is he not feeling guilty? See, on a certain level, I kind of get where he's coming from because I've had that issue too. But it gets really old really fast, okay? Yeah, especially for the people around you. Mm Mm-hmm. But then just when I think I'm like totally agreeing with Father Lantum, he gives Matt the worst piece of advice I've ever heard. I know. (laughs) Dude, what are you doing? (laughs) You should never be allowed to give anyone advice ever again. Agreed. Because he tells Matt that the guilt means his work is not yet finished. That is the last thing you need to tell Matt Murdoch. Yeah, essentially God just gave him permission to keep beating the shit out of people and treating his friends like garbage. Yes, and I'm pretty sure if he would have died while doing that, his ghost would have come back and continued beating on people. Honestly, you know what, Lantum? You had one job here. You tell him to do ten Hail Marys, five Our Fathers, and that's it. Know your role, stay in your fucking lane. But what Matt really can't understand, nor can Father Lantham understand, because he's not a fucking therapist, clearly, is that Matt's guilt is not about Grotto. It's not about all these other people. His guilt is rooted in still feeling responsible for his father's death. He's never gotten over it. He's never recognized that that's the real problem. So you think he became daredevil because he couldn't deal with with his father's death. Absolutely. He's still trying to save his father, and he never will. Mm -hmm. There's an episode of The West Wing in which President Bartlett is having a therapy session with Adam Arkin. And 
he hasn't slept in like four nights, can't sleep. And what it comes down to is Toby Ziegler brought up something about his father. And therapist looks at him and says, you know, they keep moving the goalposts on you. Honor Society, Oxford, governor, president. And he tells him, you know, it's never going to work because you're just a kid who's still trying to get his father to stop hitting him. And you're never going to get his approval because he's dead. And it's a fantastic scene. And it's so similar to what's going on with Matt here. Because of that hero worship he had for his dad and knowing his dad did this, took the die for him, he's never been able to put the responsibility for his father's death on his father where it belongs. Right. It was his father's choice to do that, no matter his motivation. Exactly. But Matt can't deal with that. Mm Mm-hmm. Matt needs a therapist, not a priest, in short. Yeah. Can we just say no one needs a priest? Ever. No priests. <laughs> nope. So back at the office, Karen is sharing an interesting x-ray with Matt and Foggy. Yeah. So this x-ray tells us that Frank Castle has been shot in the head. Yeah. And it was Blake Tower who slipped this into the files he gave to Karen on the down low. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Clearly, there's a greater conspiracy at play here. Yeah, but we don't know quite what it is yet. But at the same time, guys, has Karen ever been wrong about this kind of thing? Listen to the woman. She is always right. And to be fair, she's the one who's actually been doing the research. Yeah, Matt's too busy daredeviling and Foggy's too busy pouting. And, you know, finishing up those cobblers. Yes. That's true. So Foggy believes that Frank is completely insane at this point, and that opinion is not going to change. Yeah, and I can see where he's coming from. At this point, yes, but not later on for me. Yeah, I think it's more so because he wants to distance the Punisher from Daredevil, as Matt wants to as well. Oh, I don't think so. I think this is Foggy's genuine belief. I don't think Matt plays into it at all. That's Matt's job to do that distancing. I think Foggy sees this from his own personal perspective as a guy who does not like violence and mm-hmm. as a lawyer. Okay, that's fair. But Karen makes a good point here, arguing that finding Frank is the best way to protect Nelson and Murdoch from big bad DA Reyes. I would disagree with her. I'm putting my business hat on. From a business perspective, it makes What Foggy is saying makes complete sense. Step away, let D.A. Reyes cool down, and things will go back to normal. Getting Frank Castle, catching him, being involved in this whole thing will only instigate her more. Okay, so the reason I'm with Karen is because I think they know too much already for Reyes to leave them alone. Because Reyes is just the right kind of ambitious, with tunnel vision, that she would rather completely incapacitate them and leave them without any credibility, seeing them as like a loose thread. So I think they know Mm -hmm. just enough at this point to be in trouble unless they get their own insurance policy, their own big weapon, which would be Frank Castle. Okay. So something interesting here, you know, Matt tells Karen, he's very glad 
she's not a saint. And I just can't help but think back to what Foggy said in season one. If there is a woman of questionable character in the room, Matt Murdock's going to find her. And Foggy Nelson's going <laughs> to suffer. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I think a part of him is also saying that because he knows that he's no saint either. Mm-hmm. And because Karen's not a saint, she takes off without a word to find Castle herself. Yeah, she's insane. Yes, half of me in this moment screams, you idiot. And the other half of me says, yes, girl, don't let two men stop you from doing what you believe is right. True, but she's going after a serial killer. No, a mass murderer. Yes, hence the idiot half. <laughs> and I mean, technically, and we're going to see, Ray has mentioned this, he is both a mass murderer, a spree killer, and a serial killer. He's everything rolled into one. Yeah. And I should mention here, as Amy has her business hat on, my true crime cap is securely fastened for this entire episode. So Matt has to go see Melvin real quick because of, you know, the gunshot to his helmet. And I need to know how much his suits cost. And I also need Matt Murdock's best, like, stock and investment tips because there's no way that inheritance from his father was enough to put him through college, through law school, daredeviling equipment, and keeping him afloat while they're collecting nothing but bananas and cobblers as payment. Yeah, the whole money thing in this show doesn't make sense, which is something that doesn't make sense in a lot of shows. Yeah, it drives me crazy. Yeah, but I think the best explanation I can come up with is that he saved a shit ton while he was working in a private firm that we see in the flashbacks. Oh, they were interning. They weren't being paid. Okay, all right. So then he <sighs> is very much in debt. Maybe he should be more sweet on Electra, you know? Right. Simply because he needs her money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go again with Karen, who is trying to find a guy who's now a janitor. He used to be a nurse at the hospital Frank Castle was brought to the night he was shot and his family was murdered. Right. And we get some key information from this guy. And first off, this guy is terrified of someone yeah we don't know who yet but someone and the key information that we get from him is that a frank castle was shot in the head and people in suits came in and insisted on a dnr for him so they went through with it they pulled the plug but he still survived and he woke up yeah he was a vegetable and basically his body rebooted itself which does yeah. happen. Yeah, true. But it's like a one in a million kind of thing. Yeah. And when Frank woke up, the first thing he said to this nurse was, take me home. Right. That's quite a request to make of a nurse. Yeah. And he kind of pulled him in and did that. And Frank Castle being who he is, anyone would have shit their pants. Yeah. He just woke up from a coma looking the way he does. Yeah, at which point you just say, okay, I'll drive. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. What makes me crazy about all this is that Karen cannot see 
that she is making the exact same mistake here she made with Ben. How so? Recklessly putting this guy in danger for the sake of her own obsession. Mm-hmm. It's amazing he survives. Yeah, but in this case, this dude is not as involved as Ben was. Still, he's a loose end. He knows Castle was shot. He's pretty damn involved. And he saw the feds come in. Mm-hmm. I'm shocked he's still alive, even to this point, let alone survives the rest of the season. Maybe if I see any kind of plot hole, it's this. The fact that they let okay. this witness live. Mm-hmm. But for the sake of the plot, they needed him to live. Yeah. Otherwise, we wouldn't have put the pieces together. Yeah. So, speaking of the man of the hour, we find Frank Castle sitting on a bench at the carousel. Yeah, and he seems to be, like, in a trance. Yeah. Now, I said in our last episode that John Bernthal reminds me very much of Richard Gere, and I stand Mm -hmm. by that, but... After watching that scene in particular, and now more so as I've watched the following episodes, I think it's if you mix Richard Gere with Robert De Niro, you get John Bernthal. Because this scene gave me all kinds of taxi driver vibes. Mm -hmm. It's in the eyes, especially. Yeah. He did a fantastic job. Oh my God, he's amazing. He just exudes this simmering tension because we know shit's about to go down. That and you also can see the emotion. He's, he's not in the present moment. He doesn't look quite human there. He looks more like a shark that doesn't sleep. Black mm-hmm. eyes. All right. Like a doll's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help myself. <laughs> So the Irish show up, as Frank is expecting, takes out Mm -hmm. the first squad, but they do manage to get a sedative into him. Yeah. This is the thing I like about Frank Castle. He doesn't do any fancy moves. He just gets to the point. He just shoots them all. And that's it. You're done. With Matt, there's a lot of punching and a lot of acrobatics. It's frankly a waste of energy. Well, I also think Frank is stronger than Matt. Mm Mm-hmm. So that has something to do with it, too. True. But Frank is efficient. Yes, he has training, too, that Matt doesn't. He is a killing machine. Right. So they tase him till Frank is out. Drug him. Yeah, drug him, haul him away. Yeah. And it's Brett Mahoney that tells Matt the Irish put a bounty on Castle. And it's just causing a huge mess amongst the gangsters who... I mean, what do they make up? Like 80% of Hell's Kitchen is just gangsters? I think so, right? And it seems to be like there's only one hospital and the one major nurse, which is Claire, and, you know, the one cop. It's a very small place. Yeah, it's like Burton's Gotham. Why are you people still living here? (laughs) Move anywhere else. Yeah. They act like Hell's Kitchen is its own little island. It's hilarious. It's actually quite a small area of New York. Yeah, which is probably why they're being so, oh, Hell's Kitchen, Hell's Kitchen about it. Yeah, I mean, Spider-Man has a much bigger terrain. Yeah, true. And I understand why, frankly, Matt would be tired of just running around because he just seems to be running around and jumping around everywhere. Yeah, causing a mess. And this is what Brett tells him. Like, he's turned on Daredevil now because, as he says to Matt, you're on your own side. Yeah. 
And it's just this constant dichotomy with Matt. Brett is right. By doing what he does, Matt completely disregards the good cops and the job Mm -hmm. that they're doing. But at the same time, he isn't wrong because of the rampant corruption amongst the police. We saw that in season one. Who can really trust a cop around here? They make it seem like Brett Mahoney is the only trustworthy policeman. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it fits with the small town kind of thing that they seem to be pushing over here. For sure. So now because Karen has a death wish, we're going to Castle's house. And we'll break it in. Yeah, we're not looking for alarms. We're just using a piece of tissue to cover your tracks. Yeah, interesting set of skills she has there, too. True, yeah. Mm-hmm. So many little things leading up to her specific episode that just make you wonder, who the fuck is Karen Page? <laughs> well, it goes to show us that she didn't become who she became overnight. Oh, yeah. Well, no one does. True. So while she's snooping around, we've got to go spend some more time with Finn and Castle because it's torture time. <laughs> I don't want to be here. Yeah, they do it fantastically. And the electric drill going into the foot, very nicely done. You, you are as much a ghoul as I am. And I don't want to hear anything else. <laughs> I say that just to trouble you sometimes. And I think this is an interesting dynamic here between the two men. They have both lost children through violence. Mm -hmm. Whereas Frank Castle only cares about his family. Finn cares a lot more about his money than his dead son. Yeah. Honestly, it's not like if he cares more about his son, he's going to come back. He can at least recoup some losses. As cold hearted as that sounds. I don't even know you right now. But what really ramps up the tension here is that Frank is just disgusted by Finn. And that righteousness that he has, rightfully so, in this situation, Finn cannot deal with this shit on top of everything. Like, you're going to sit there and you think you're better than me? Uh Uh-uh. Nope, you took my money and you think you're better than me, you piece of shit? That's... Well, he kind of is. Oh, yeah. I am not disagreeing with you, but that's the mentality of these assholes. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's funny. We know Daredevil is the protagonist of the show. And this goes for at least the first two seasons where we also sort of root for the bad guy, especially with Frank. Yeah. I'm totally in Frank's corner over here. I love him. And I even love the Punisher, the show as well. I have not seen the Punisher, the show. For obvious reasons. Trash can. Necessary. (laughs) So this torture is going to continue for a while. And while Mm -hmm. it does, Karen is just making herself at home in the castle residence. Yeah, it's very nicely intercut between the torture and discovering Frank's history, which is another torture for us in itself, where we realize this guy actually had a lovely, well-adjusted family. He did. And an ordinary one. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, this confused me a little bit. This house looks like it was lived in like up to yesterday. Mm -hmm. There's no dust anywhere at all. It's super clean. The flowers are 
not like fully wilted. They should be dust, but they're not. I don't right. know how much time has elapsed between the shooting and now. It's very unclear. Yeah, I'm not sure about it either. But I also think they've taken creative liberties with the dust and the flowers because it wouldn't come across as well on screen. If you have a layer of dust on everything, you wouldn't be able to see the the pictures and the toys and all of that. It's not it wouldn't tell the story it needs to. Maybe. And they do an excellent job of telling that story. Yes. It's heart wrenching seeing his kids toys laying around like it was just an ordinary day cut off. Yeah. And what we also say here is that Frank was a Marine officer. Mm-hmm. And a decorated one at that. Yes. And a tough as nails one because he's not giving in to this torture. No, he isn't. He finally, quote unquote, cracks when they threaten the dog. And I must say that dog really did a good job. I'm sure his whining was added on, but he kept trying to push to go towards castle whoever this dog is the trainer did a fantastic job with him he better have gotten so many treats oh i'm sure he did i'm pretty sure john burnthal had a lot of treats in front of him that's why the dog was so excited to go go to him give that baby rubs all the rubs he wants (laughs) yeah yeah this is unforgivable for me i don't care at this point how many people the irish have killed you cross the line when you kill it, when not only kill a dog, but you're going to torture this poor, helpless little animal. Oh, my God. It's just. I can't. But they didn't. That's the good part. And this also says so much about Frank, even if it means staying true to his mission. He can't bear to see this animal harmed. Yeah. And it's part of his code, right? This animal is an innocent. And it's more than the code. It's just who he is. Yeah. And we also see he's still capable of love. He loves this dog. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It hasn't known him very long. Yeah. So he's still capable of love. He's not just dead inside. He's just not a killing machine. Yeah. These are the moments you wish Foggy would see. Mm hmm. The humanity inside of him. The compassion. Yeah. It just gets overshadowed. Yeah. So Frank gives up the location of the money, which I knew at this point. I'm like, oh, you idiots. You idiots. You go ahead and walk (laughs) right into that Looney Tunes trap. Yep. Yeah. You know, the best part about this is, yes, Frank had planned this whole thing. He had put the bomb in and he knew that if he had to, he'd give the information But the biggest fuck you to these guys is he actually put the money in it. Like, I don't need your money. I'm going to blow you up with the fucking money. It's like when the Joker burns the giant pile of money in the Dark Knight. Mm -hmm. And what I think this also shows, something that everybody but Karen is guilty of, is that they all, because he's this grunt type of guy, because he's this killing machine, they all underestimate Frank Castle's intelligence. Yeah. He's a very smart guy. Oh, yes, he is. And at this point, oh, my God, am I going to throw up? (laughs) 
So I don't need to know what part she's talking about. I just know, just with that, the blade comes out. The human body is not one of those stuffed animal backpacks that you can open up and put shit in and save it for later. <laughs> Tell that to drug mules. <sighs> she's doing this on purpose. She's <laughs> totally trying to get me to gag, everyone. Yeah. I mean, I'm not denying it. I love to see you uncomfortable, especially now that I can actually see you. So while those idiots are getting blown up, Frank is also able to slip his restraints. And what a great line here. He's loose. Yeah. Like a wild <laughs> animal. Exactly. Yeah. But unfortunately for Finn, Daredevil is around and he is thin the herd in his own way. Nice. That's a good one. <laughs> And here's where we find out something very important. Frank Castle does not know who killed his family. Right. And you know what, Finn? I understand that you also don't know who killed Castle's family, but the answer to the question is never who cares. Nope. Not smart. Yeah. You know why he said that? Why? Because he had too many of those calming nerves pills. Yeah, what was that about? What do you think those were? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's the pills you take after you murder people, because he clearly did that at the funeral. Irish temper pills. Wasn't doing a good job then. Nah, not really, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they do make it in elixir form, and that's just whiskey. True. But then that can work both ways. So Matt and Castle team up to take out the rest of the Irish. And Frank is left in bad shape here, with Matt having to carry him out. To a cemetery. Yeah. Interesting spot, Matt. Mm-hmm. But I'll be honest, I'd be more than happy to watch, like, five hours of Daredevil and Punisher just kicking people's asses. I would pay to watch that. Well, if any of these rumors are true about a new Punisher series, you might just be able to. Yay! We'll see. And here's where Frank gives Matt the highest praise he could ever give anyone. You'd have made a hell of a Marine, Red. Yeah. And I think Matt appreciates that. Yes, it's a sign of respect. Mm -hmm. And then we have the best scene of the episode where we have Frank Castle talking about his, about his daughter and how he saw her for the first time when, when he came back. Yeah, this got me a little choked up. Yeah, it got me a little teary-eyed too. It made me think of my niece. And, you know, this really hits home for me, because we see here that Frank Castle, yeah, he's a killing machine. He can be completely devoid of emotion when he wants to be, and that made him a goddamn good Marine. It did. Yeah. An excellent Marine is a very scary human being. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we had a lot more time and this was a different kind of podcast, we could really dive into a lot of the geopolitical aspects and cultural aspects of this and what it takes to be a good soldier, a good Marine. and 
what America has done and continues to do around the world, even as we speak. And, you know, my own husband is in the military. And it gets into really foggy territory for me in that regard, something I can't even talk about. And that's just one of the myriad of ways that this show is so much bigger than just the plot lines it's dealing with. Yeah. And as an outsider, both as not an American and having no experience with the military in any form, the kind of perception people generally have about soldiers and Marines is similar to what we see with Frank Castle, the killing machine side of him, the way he carries himself, the way he's so efficient about doing things. But we tend to forget that these soldiers, these Marines, they are people too. Yes, they are people with families, just like Frank. Yeah, this is the fantasy version that we see with the Punisher, but we tend to forget the Frank Castle side of things. Right. And the most wrenching part of his monologue is talking about that reunion with his daughter when she first saw him in her classroom. Yeah. I know plenty of people have watched those videos, military reunion videos on YouTube, but... um. You can't really fully appreciate those until you've lived it. And I, I've been that woman in the airport who's been waiting for a year. And when my husband came home from Korea and I ran into his arms, I didn't get off the floor because my husband's about the same size as me, you know, so <laughs> we can't do the pick you up and spin you around kind of deal. But we were just so thrilled. And it kind of radiated to everyone around us. And there was another couple a few feet away that was also seeing each other. One of them was like, I forget which one was on a business trip and and came home. And they looked at us and said, wow, you're going to make us feel bad. I think we need to do this over. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that got me. And the other really important thing about this monologue is Frank's description of how he felt when he came home. Yeah. He tells Matt about feeling so tired he couldn't move. That is PTSD. And this is what is one of the heartbreaking things about the show. We're going to get into the trial is that Frank Castle cannot recognize that of course you idiot of course you have ptsd you said it yourself you just didn't recognize it for what it is he came home and didn't know how to be a person again yeah and you know there's that sense of decompression for everybody who comes home you know my husband was in korea for a year last year he was um uh in the middle east Uh, For six months, when they come home, there's a whole reintegration process. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. Like they have to fit back in the family again, a family that has changed sometimes significantly in their absence in order to accommodate that absence. You know, so they've just had grueling months alone, apart. My husband didn't have a day off for like, I can't even tell you how many months he was just working almost around the clock. 
and he came home to a ton of change, positive change, but still it was a rough first week and it always is, no matter how strong your relationship is. Yeah, there is an adjustment period for even under normal conditions, if someone has moved away and they come back or it's family, they've moved out and they come back for the holidays. There is always that adjustment period because you're used to a different rhythm. So we also understand here that the family was killed not long at all after Frank came home. So Matt calls the cops, bring the posse out for public enemy number one here. And yeah. Brett is all set to arrest Matt, as he should. Mm-hmm. But Matt makes him an offer here. Take the collar, man. Take the credit. Yeah. And Brett takes it. He lets Matt go. And he makes the arrest. I'd have done the same thing. Yeah, makes sense. If I'm Brett and I know I'm one of the only damn good cops out there, yeah, I'm taking the credit for this. I'm getting mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not only that, but what Matt says makes sense. Uh-huh. The cops need to seem to be effective. Otherwise, the situation is just going to get worse. Yes. And I've already brought up The Dark Knight once, so why not again? But there are so many similarities between that movie and this show. This is very much like the choice Batman makes at the end of that movie. He tells Gordon, I killed these people. Blame it on me. We need Mm -hmm. Harvey Dent to remain that hero, that symbolic hero in the people's eyes. Correct. Yeah. And two, this is, uh, I hesitate to say friend of Matt's because the relationship isn't quite what it was in season one, but Matt at least knows Brett to be a good man and a good cop. One that Mm -hmm. he can trust. Right. And he knows he deserves the promotion, which is what Matt hopes he gets out of it. Yeah. But here's where I want to talk about race a little bit. Okay. Because here we have all the things we just said. But, you know, my eyes have been open to this thing a little bit more because of everything we've watched and because of the feedback that we get from you guys listening. Mm Mm-hmm. It's so important to us because you guys bring perspectives that we don't have. So I think there's another way to look at this bit of a white savior thing going on. Because is Brett Mahoney capable of getting a promotion on his own? Yes, I think he is. But here we have the white guy coming in to hand it to him on a silver platter. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. And frankly, it it didn't strike me at that time. It definitely didn't strike me years ago either, but it did now. Right. Mm -hmm. And what Brett does say to Matt here is, I don't know what you are, but I know you ain't him. Yeah. I don't know about this. Well, in the sense that he's not going around with a shotgun, you know, just mindlessly killing people. Well, here's the thing, though. You could say the same thing to Frank Castle and it would make the same amount of sense. Yeah, they are different people and they have a different code of ethics. Right, right. But it's the perspective that Brett's coming from, that Daredevil is the better guy. And I think it's the opposite. I think Frank Castle is a better man than Matt Murdock. Why? Oh, so many reasons. And that is why we do this podcast. (laughs) We will get to it. Okay. I certainly prefer Frank Castle's methodology and motive 
with Matt, it's a bit murky, you know. And I think that a part of his motive, motivation of not killing people is more about making himself feel better than it is about justice or vengeance or whatever you want to call it. Sure. Yeah, I agree with you. As far as the methodology goes and, and preferring that, guys, right now, Amy is trying to uh, to sell her home. And I just have this feeling that once she does, the new owners are going to find some bodies down there. <laughs> now put in new floors and find some <laughs> shit. Well, that's their problem now, is it? You see, these are the things that concern me. <laughs> They shouldn't be too worried. The flooring is not thick enough to hide a body in it. So, back at the office, Karen, uh, she doesn't see the need to tell Matt and Foggy about her little jaunt to Castle's house. Not yet. Yeah, and you know what? I really can't get mad at her for not telling them because they are keeping so much more from her. Yeah, they are. They're all one worse than the other, frankly. But again, she's the one who is doing the work. Yeah. Legally speaking. Yep. And here we go again with these two waiting for them to catch fire on this screen. <laughs> Number three, I hate myself. Uh-huh. Because even before we get into the raid, Jesus Christ, I'm looking at Charlie Cox He's a human hot fudge sundae, and I'm just wondering if anyone has a spoon. <laughs> I really think we need to have a drinking game for this series. Anytime you insinuate, I'm a killer. Anytime I make you gag. And anytime you hate yourself. <laughs> My God, there will be rampant deaths from alcohol poisoning. <laughs> make sure to take some water shots in between. Yeah, and you know, not to be outdone by Foggy and Matt, Karen keeps up the lies here. There's no need to mention her sweet brother is dead. Yeah, yeah, well, she's a different thing. We will discuss her when we get to her episode. Mm-hmm. And Foggy warns Matt to be careful here, that uh, if you keep going like this, you might just end up happy. Can't have that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, you know, knowing Matt... I'm surprised he didn't run away screaming. Well, that's the thing, is he always goes like halfway with happiness and then sabotages himself because mm -hmm. he's not allowed to be happy because Catholic Correct. things. <laughs> it's really true. It's really true, everybody. I was raised Catholic, I know. They really don't want anybody to be happy. They really don't. It's just not in the cards. If you're not feeling guilty about something, you're not living your life the right way. Yeah, well, sometimes you don't need to be Catholic to feel like that. Yeah, that's true. And that's why both Foggy and Matt know he's only half joking when he says that. Yeah, yeah. And I know that, you know, Foggy's trying to be supportive as a friend here. And in a way, one can say he's kind of giving them their blessing. but. Deep down, he's disappointed because he did like Karen. Not that much, really. He's more into Marcy, always has been. Yeah, but still, he did kind of have a thing for her. Who wouldn't have a thing for her? Come on. True. Agreed. Yeah. I can hear my husband, even from work, raising <laughs> his hand. 
<laughs> just the whoosh of his hand up in the air. <laughs> well, I'm raising my hand along with him. I'm glad you said that, though, because I do love that Foggy has no jealousy at all here. There is no love mm-hmm. triangle. They don't put Karen in the middle in that way. Yes. But at the same time, he's Karen's friend, too. And I'm not saying it's up to him to tell Karen that about Matt. It's not. That's on Matt. But at the same time, I wish they would show Foggy having a little more struggle with this relationship and Karen not knowing. Because, come on, there's no way this doesn't blow up in their faces. Like, these three are like kids who come back to school in September from summer vacation and just forgot everything from the year before. (laughs) Which is, you know, 99% of, of kids. Yeah. But these aren't kids. These are grown ass adults. These are fucking lawyers. Yeah, true. I get where you're coming from. But like you said, Matt has the tendency to go halfway and then self-sabotage. Maybe Foggy's thinking, yeah, this isn't going to go anywhere. No, I think he hopes it does. He may hope so, but part of him may know it probably won't. I don't know. And two, if that's the case, though, then you'd expect him to be more worried from a standpoint of we all work together. Yeah, true. Shit's going to get awkward. So either way, there needs to be more of a struggle for him. Yeah, and anyways, you know, if you're working together, especially when it's so small a firm, it is not a good idea to start dating someone. No, it really isn't, especially when they haven't even slept together yet and they're already making like googly eyes at each other all the time. I mean, you do make googly eyes before you sleep with each other, right? And after. Well, my point is... Matt and Foggy are at odds so many times about how to handle Mm -hmm. cases, about how to handle things. And Foggy already defers to Matt constantly. So it's going to put Karen in an awkward position moving forward of like having to choose. Right. Boss versus boyfriend. Yeah. It's just a bad idea all around. It absolutely is. But look at her. I know. Look at him. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I want it to happen. I'm so pissed that it didn't happen. This walk in the rain. My God, they're hot. They're wet. What are you people waiting for? I'm glad that it was raining at that time. (sighs) Or rather they scripted it in such a way that it is raining because otherwise, collectively, everyone's TVs would have melted. Honestly. And this is part of Matt's self-sabotage. That's why he doesn't go up. And you know what? I got to say, this is partly on Karen too. Push a little harder. (laughs) Come on. You know, she's actually the one who is making the advances in both situations. Yeah, which I like. She's taking the initiative. She's not waiting for the man to come around. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love that. But if he keeps, you know, taking a rain check, then how long is she going to try that? I don't want to answer that. Yes, yes, you hate yourself. (laughs) Let's say I'd be willing to give it some time. Uh Uh-huh. And a lot of sleepless nights. I doubt it's going to read sleepless nights because you'd be all over him on the street. No, I mean the waiting. Because, like, look at them. Neither of them slept that night. True. Perhaps. Yeah. They're not shutting their brains off nor any other parts of their bodies. (laughs) 
yeah, this scene and the scene in the next episode, the chemistry between the two of them, it is amazing. I was getting a little heated up. Yeah, I'm glad I already took my hoodie off a while ago. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a good thing for the show, of course, that Matt didn't invite Karen upstairs because guess who's waiting? Electra. Okay, I am officially revoking the title of that bitch from Miss Minutes and giving it to Electra. <laughs> yeah, she's she's a piece of work. I viscerally hate this woman. <laughs> In a way, she's kind of perfect for Matt. Oh, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk all about it. For now, what we'll say is we learn something very important here about Electra right away. And that is Matt is afraid of her. Yeah, he is. And she's very, very good. Or he was very distracted, which is understandable, because he didn't realize she was in the house. Right. And as soon as he does, he pulls out a knife. Mm-hmm. Which was hidden where exactly? I'm pretty sure he has a knife hidden in the house every like six inches away. <laughs> At all points. It's built into his belt. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that brings us to the end of episode four. And we should just say it now that, uh, yeah, we said at the beginning of this episode, we were going to cover four through seven of Daredevil season two. Yeah, we've been off a little more than we could chew. So this is going to be episodes four and five. Right. And six and seven will be in your feeds immediately. Because we have a schedule to keep that we manage to fuck up on our own all the time. (laughs) If we keep to the schedule, that is a miracle in itself. This is true. But first, let's hear a word from our new friends of the show, Karen and Aubrey. Hey, I'm Karen. And I'm Aubrey. And this is Chicklet, a literature comedy podcast where we enjoy getting lit and talking about books that spoke to us as young adults. Yeah, book it was um, dope as fuck. Yeah, I used to get it. the little personal pan pizza. Yeah, just for oh my god, just for you. Yeah, shit- nobody can take that shit, dog. <laughs> but we also cover movies with special guests, and it can get pretty crazy. I'll make a controversial statement. I will take this over Space Jam. Is that controversial? It People might love Space be. Jam. We might have to. We might have to stage a fight. So if you enjoy YA fiction. That fool of a fairy, Lucinda, did not intend to lay a curse on me. She meant to bestow a gift. Boozy beverages. Little shot of Baileys in your coffee. Coffee, pizza, and Baileys goes together like... Doesn't go together. It doesn't go together at all. And the power of friendship. I'll be like, I bought your Christmas present. And she'll be like, what'd you get me? I have to know. (laughs) Tell me right now. And I'm like, Henry gets so irritated because I'm like, do you want your present now? And he's like, it's like October. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't. Then we're the podcast for you. We've been best friends for over a decade, so join in on the fun and grab a drink, y'all. January 6th at 1.15 p.m., the day that Dry January died. So with episode five, we get a return to Daredevil just showcasing how well this creative team does flashbacks. Yeah. So we start off 10 years ago. Yes. Welcome. Welcome the return of Matt's bad hair, everyone. (laughs) Yeah, they really need to sort that out with the flashbacks. Yeah, so these guys are crashing some uppity party and 
That's where Matt meets Electra for the first time. Yeah. And, you know, just a little while ago, I said, does somebody have a spoon in regards to Matt? And now I'm like, oh, my God, take away the spoon because Foggy is eating caviar like pudding. Yeah, yeah, that will that that is way too salty, man. Come on. Yeah, I don't know if he even liked it. He was just like, oh, this is expensive. I'm going to eat all of it. (laughs) Which I get where he's coming from. But still, no. Yeah, it's a little much. Mm-hmm. And once again, Matt finds the woman of questionable character in the room. <laughs> questionable is putting it mildly. Yes. And I want to just say right here now, I may despise Electronachios, but man, Elodie Young does a fantastic job with this character. Yes, she does. She gives a very compelling performance. But at this point, I'm already just smacking myself in the head like, oh, Matt, how did you ever think, and we'll talk more about this later, how did you ever think this was a chance encounter, you jackass? Yeah, well, he is a bit too full of himself, isn't he? To think anyone could play him. No, I don't think it's that here. I think there are so many times we see that Matt Murdock is naive. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them. And he's even younger at this point. He's just in college. And he's the outsider here. Mm-hmm. He's the blue collar working class guy, you know, struggling his way through school. And she's this diplomat's daughter, uber rich. It's a little fairy tale-ish in a way, in the opposite way. In the opposite way, yes, from a traditional fairy tale point of view. But it's not exactly fairy tale esque, is it? It's a bit darker. It's more like the grim fairy tales. I was just gonna say, yes, real fairy tales. They are <laughs> fucked up, people. Yeah. Parents out there, you wanna scare your kids? Read them Grimm's fairy tales. They won't sleep for a week. The Marvelous Madams does not take any responsibility for PTSD or trauma to these kids, if you take that advice. <laughs> So back in present day, to say the least, Matt is not thrilled to see Electra in his apartment. Yeah, see, I get that. But future episodes, I feel like he is protesting a bit too much. Here's the thing. So she immediately starts playing mind games with him. And he knows that's her whole deal. That's what Mm -hmm. she does. She is an extremely manipulative person. She's very good at it. Mm Mm-hmm. If he really wanted to nip this in the bud with this kind of individual, you don't engage. You don't engage from the start. He should have called the cops right then and there and tell them, this woman broke into my apartment. She's an ex-girlfriend. She's unstable. I mean, for fuck's sake, he's a white, male, attractive, blind lawyer. How many more things could he have on his side in this situation that he could paint her as the crazy, tropey, unstable girlfriend? You do what you have to do in a situation like this with a person like her. Call the cops, reporter, file a restraining order, even if it's useless. Just don't engage. Because, too, he doesn't have any reason to think she knows about Daredevil at this point. None. So she's got nothing on him that he knows of. But he chooses to engage with her. First mistake. 
what you say makes sense, but what you said about his secret is probably what's holding him back. If they start digging, they might figure something out, is probably what his fear is. Secondly, he, from the flashbacks later on, we see that she doesn't give a shit about the cops. And she'd be out in like five seconds. Oh, I agree with you completely. But it's more symbolic. The I'm not going to engage with you. This is what's going to happen. I will find ways to make trouble for you and stop this. You are not going to play the same games with me. Right. But in this situation, fine. He engaged, but he did try to shut her down. But he didn't stick with it. And that's what pisses me off. He's exactly. too much. He allowed her to get in his head. That's what you can't let people like her do. As soon as he engaged with her, he gave her the opportunity to mess with him, which is exactly what she does. She tells mm -hmm. him here about something nefarious going on at the Roxxon Corporation. Mm -hmm. So I didn't remember that Roxxon played into this season. And we also saw them um, just briefly. It was more of an Easter egg on um, episode two of Loki. It was the superstore that Sylvie was hiding out in. So I just wonder if they're going to bring it back in some way, either on Disney Plus or, you know, into the movies. Let's see. Yeah. So Electra's story here is that she needs Matt's legal help. Right. The night before the big meeting. Right. And now she's planted this seed in his mind, regardless of what he says to her, regardless of wanting to get rid of her. She's put this in his head. And she knows him well enough to know that he will not leave it alone because she needs his help. Right. And I don't think she expected him to agree. The point of this little mm -hmm. meeting was just to plant that seed. This was just round one, getting her foot back in the door with him. Mm -hmm. This is another person whose intelligence we should never underestimate. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Nelson and Murdoch is closed down for the moment because Reyes is exerting every bit of pressure and control that she has to keep clients from walking through the door. Yeah, and the food is running out. Yes, yes. And meanwhile, the press is painting Castle as a lunatic, which is only making Karen more convinced that all kinds of stuff is being suppressed. Yeah, because she knows a little bit more about him, but none of that is coming out in the news. Yeah, and what's great here is when Karen does admit she went to Castle's house, she does not allow Foggy and Matt to lecture her. Yeah, and hypocritical much, especially from Matt? Mm-hmm. Well, he's Matt Murdock right now, not Daredevil. He's got a part to play. Yeah, but still. And... I can't blame Foggy here. He wants no part of the Frank Castle case. Yeah, I get that. It makes a lot of sense. He wants normal paying clients. But the problem here is, Foggy, in case you haven't noticed, there's not a lot of normal in Hell's Kitchen. Again, Wichita, Lansing, Michigan. <laughs> I don't know, Denver. There's so many other places to live and work, Foggy. Pick one. Yeah. Because you know what you got in Hell's Kitchen? Gangsters. And everybody who walks in that door has a problem with a fucking gangster. So just leave. 
Yeah, but where's the fun in that? Meanwhile, Matt's biggest concern at this point is Karen getting hurt. Yeah. And I do get that. He cares about her. They're dating. They're not kind of dating yet. They're sort of maybe, hopefully, kind of later (laughs) kind of dating. They're doing something. I don't know. Yeah, making googly eyes at each other. It's been so long since I dated, I don't even know what to call it. Well, I'm the last person to comment on that. But I will say that at this point, Matt should change his glasses from round glasses to heart-shaped glasses around her. Yeah, that's fair. So just when it looks like they might have their first normal day in quite some time. No, 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 because we get a call from the bank. A big deposit just magically came into their account. Yeah, and this is something that, okay, immediately Matt realizes who it is and he says, oh, it's a client, it may not work out. But as he's doing his client work, what surprises me is that Foggy doesn't seem to be interested in knowing more about this client and how there's no paperwork that seems to be happening. I think Foggy is probably a little taken aback by the money because they are so broke. I mean, he's been going through all those bills. They've got no food in the office. They're barely surviving at all. So getting that windfall, I would just feel relief in that moment. True, but it is his business as well. He should know more about it. Oh, I agree with you. But Matt shuts it down pretty fast, too, before Foggy can make any more inroads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And round two to Electra, he's just no match for her. Yeah. At this point, he could have just shut up and not gone there. Well, see, that's the thing. And, you know, this is what we see with Electra continually. Is that now he has to deal with it because like that money brings business implications. People like her. Okay, manipulative sociopaths and psychopaths, they force people to engage them. They push and they push and they have no lines. They have no boundaries. They push until they do something so over the line that you are forced to engage with them. I mean, we watched it for four years in the United States with a completely unhinged, insane president who forced people to pay attention to what he was saying because we had to. Because he was the fucking president of the United States, you know, forced the media to cover him. It's the same kind of tactics with her. She uses every tool at her disposal in order to manipulate and force those confrontations. Mm -hmm. So now we're 10 years back again. We're at the party. And I will agree with Electra here. Matt is not a tough read. He has no idea how much he gives away to people who are trained to observe. Yeah, true. He thinks he's secretive, but he isn't actually. No, he isn't. But he does a very good job of pretending to be blind. (laughs) Which is one of the reasons I don't think he was worried about the cops digging and finding out he's Daredevil, even if Electra told them he was. Who would believe it? We've seen him play on being blind so many times we're going to see him do it again with electra nobody would believe it yeah but when you have a secret it kind of weighs on you all the time and this is something like i'm in the closet so i try to be extra careful 
and be careful about what I say, what I do, what I, how I look at people. Because even if someone may not suspect it, it may not be in their worldview. I'm so aware of my secret that I will try to stay away, try to try to not get into a situation where I may potentially be outed. And that's something that I think Matt may be struggling with too. I don't know. He's been pretty reckless about that sometimes. Like in season one, how many rooftops did we see him monkeying around on where he could be seen, you know, alleyways, throwing his canes around all over the place? Yeah. Not just the suit budget. That's right. We got to talk about that cane budget too, mister. (laughs) I wonder if he goes back to try to retrieve them. (laughs) And the problem here for Matt is he gets Electra right, but only half right. He thinks she's bored because she's this flighty rich girl. And mm-hmm. no, 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 Mr. Murdoch. She's bored because she's a sociopath who needs ridiculous amounts of cortisol and adrenaline in her blood system to feel alive. <laughs> yeah, we make sure. Yep, yep, true crime cap still on. Yep. Yeah, but she plays along with him to make him feel good about himself. Yeah, and I think it's very important to note just how many things Matt Murdock is totally fine with in these flashbacks. Mm-hmm. He's totally fine with stealing this person's car. Right. To start out with, because you're not bored, Matt? Hmm? Yeah, yeah, he's playing with fire. Yeah, because you don't have the same addictions? Mm-hmm. I think Electra is a kind of drug for him. I think so, too. And later on in the, in the episode, when he's struggling with killing that guy if it weren't for that i think the two of them would have been another version of fisk and vanessa yeah yeah i absolutely agree and you know you hear a lot about this in serial killer investigations the best examples i can think of are uh, jeffrey dahmer and ted bundy both of whom had to drink themselves into oblivion when they committed murders. And it wasn't because they were trying to suppress their conscience. It was, especially Bundy, he didn't have one. It was because they wanted to free that monster part of themselves. Two very different killers, but, you know, makes sense for both. And I think that's what Electra gives to Matt. She allows him that freedom that he doesn't have with other people and allows him to kind of let the monster out in a safe way because she doesn't judge him for it. She wants it. Yes. And she encourages it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's why they make a fantastic couple. If it weren't for Matt being raised in a Catholic orphanage, he would have been with her every step of the way. You know, I think the difference is in her own sick way, Vanessa was supporting. Fisk and building him up, whereas Electra tries to tear Matt down and sabotage his life. Yes, because she wants him to be dependent on her. Yeah. She wants them to be inseparable. Yeah. (laughs) I can't believe I'm saying this, but Fisk and Vanessa had a much healthier relationship. I know, that's what I'm telling you. (laughs) I hate it. I hate myself. 
Oh, I've lost count. It's what I was trying to say all last season. They are good for each other. But they're the only people they're good for. It's terrible for everyone yeah. else around them. Yeah. Yeah, that's why they're like perfect for each other. Whereas Matt and Electra are very bad for each other. And they're supposed to be the good guys in a way. Well, Matt is supposed to be, at least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about it. This show, we have primarily Fisk and Vanessa as the main bad guy couple. And the good guy couple is Matt and Electra and Matt and Karen. And neither of those relationships with Matt are healthy relationships. No. Whereas Fisk and Vanessa, for each other, are fantastic. Yeah. And they're anyways fantastic, and I love them. You know what? I hate you too, for good measure. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of people who are supposed to be good guys, Blake Tower shows up at Nelson and Murdoch, and he is pissed. Yeah, he wants some paperwork from them. He's basically trying to tie up loose ends and get Frank Castle, you know, killed. But it's a little more than that. And Foggy knows that. Mm-hmm. Tower's here to make Foggy an offer. Reyes will leave you guys alone if you hand over all the grotto files. Yeah. So Tower thinks that that's an offer Nelson and Murdoch can't refuse, but he's very surprised. Yeah, you're not Brando, buddy. Sorry, it's not how it works. <laughs> yeah. And I love the way Foggy turns him down. Oh, yeah, sure. No problem, buddy. Just hand me that court order. Yeah. And this is a moment where I say, good for you, Foggy. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I think the Matt and Foggy relationship is not good for Foggy. No. Absolutely not. Yeah, there, Foggy would be far more successful and probably happier if Matt wasn't around. Yes, Foggy has been holding himself back by being in that partnership and relationship for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think maybe at one point the relationship was a lot healthier, but over time he just kept ceding more and more power to Matt. I don't want to blame Matt entirely. For how toxic their relationship is because it's on Foggy to stand up for himself. True. And I think it's that hero worship that we discussed earlier in one of our previous episodes that just sort of stayed. Yeah. And it became habit. Yeah. And when you combine that with love and affection, you know, things get muddled. Mm-hmm. And Tower even dangles a big job at the DA's office to Foggy, but he holds his ground. Yeah. Good for him. True. And then we see Matt just falling for Electra's bullshit like an idiot. He's at the Yakatomi building for this meeting that Electra has at Roxxon. And I was like, come on, guys. That's supposed to be Nakatomi, right? Right? Because all I can think of is Die Hard now. <laughs> you can't tell me that rhyme is a coincidence. But before they dive into things, we get another flashback. And now we're at Fogwell's gym. Right. And they're breaking and entering again. Yeah. In a place that Matt patronizes and likes. Yeah. And he's totally okay with it. And I just, 
hate her for how blasé she is about everything. She doesn't give a shit about anyone or anything else besides what she wants. Yeah. And Matt clearly seems to be liking it. He's yeah. going along with everything. Oh, yeah. You can tell a lot about a person from the people they surround themselves with, from the partner they choose. Mm-hmm. And that makes me wonder what people would say about us. <laughs> anyway, what's important here is that Matt doesn't trust her enough to confide about his powers, but he does tell her about his father. And that's huge for him. Yeah, it is. And it makes me wonder, yes, his powers are a secret, but he's still a little more liberal with it than he is about talking about his father. So how much of a connection does he think he has with Electra? Mm -hmm. And it's not like he hides his powers five minutes later anyways. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it makes me wonder, too. We know Matt has had his share of women at this point, just from the camaraderie between him and Foggy. But I wonder how many mm -hmm. actual relationships he's had at this point. Because he's still in college. He's a kid. Right. I don't think too many. And I don't think too many after either. No, I wouldn't say any. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like you said, no need to divulge his powers because she had an inkling. Yeah. Again, Matt, you idiot. <laughs> really? She just had a hunch? She just suspected that you have superpowers all on her own? Okay, Mr. Murdoch. God. He's blinded. <laughs> That's terrible. By what he's feeling for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's less about feeling at this point. I think he's um, not thinking with his brain, but another part of his anatomy. Yeah, true. Well, can't blame him, really. She is hot. If you say so. And I do appreciate the way they do this having Electra forcing Matt to fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To confirm the powers. Yeah. And she pushes him to the point where he does then finally fight back properly. Yep. Yep. And then we're just having sex in a boxing ring. This bitch. No. <laughs> What's, what, what was wrong about that? <sighs> it's not fair. Oh, so that's the problem. <laughs> it's not fair that it's not you. <laughs> What did you expect? I was hoping for a little more, but I'm sadly disappointed. That's your fault. That's on you. Yeah. And, you know, what I really love about these particular flashbacks is that they're done in a way that you can almost feel Matt seeing them along with us, taking that trip down memory lane. Yeah, correct. We feel like he's thinking about it at that moment. Yes, when in reality, Electra is now at the table with these monkeys here at Roxxon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I should say Neanderthals. Yeah, when these guys are being complete asses towards her, I'm kind of rooting for her. I want her to take them down. Several pegs. Yeah. She says, yeah, but her face is saying, fuck you for making me admit that. I know. It's true. <laughs> I mean, this one guy literally says to her that 
He's not sure if the money man will be able to put things into terms she'll understand. Yeah. The look she gives him is priceless. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's playing along. Oh, yes. Very well. And that's the kind of thing Mm -hmm. they would never say to a man. Yeah, obviously. And who's outside on the roof lurking? (sighs) He's like a gremlin on the wing. But she sees him. She notices it. Mm-hmm. And she knows she won the first round. The first, the second. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Speaking of those who are probably somewhere they shouldn't be, Karen finds her way to the New York Bulletin. Yeah. And I kind of get where he's coming from. Mitch is as fed up with her as he was with ben it's like he's just transferring the feeling over and i really like him so i was happy to see him again yeah he's good he's a good he's a good guy yeah he represents that hard-boiled old kind of newsman that you know doesn't exist in the real world anymore (laughs) if it ever really did (laughs) i don't even know at least there was woodward and burns died at one point in time but i understand from karen's logic why she goes to see him she knows there's more to the castle story she can't get anywhere on it through legal means, through the cops. So where do you go? The media. Yeah. And she already has a relationship, sort of, with this guy. Yeah. And she knows she can trust him because, number one, Ben trusted him up until the point where Ben mm-hmm. went a little nuts. And two, <laughs> he wasn't on Fisk's payroll. Right. Yeah. And she knows that he values honesty and accurate reporting because ben was all about that right and you know she also appeals to him on the business side in a way which is smart and he has a right to want to keep his paper going all the other media outlets are covering this up but with karen's help they could really blow up this story and be the only paper reporting this yeah agreed now mitch has done his homework but castle's history has been completely wiped Karen is the one who can give him the proof of his military service. The fact that he has a Navy cross sitting in his house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she can't give him proof because she's not telling him her source. The right. sources she's snooping around. Now, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can give me an explanation for this. Otherwise, I kind of see it as a plot hole. Mm-hmm. If the feds, the DA's office has gone to all this trouble to cover up the murder of Frank's family, why wouldn't you burn down that house? Or at least remove stuff from it. Like, if you're going to cover up the family's murder, you better damn well erase that family completely. Make it an electrical fire, uh, a gas explosion. There are a million ways that you could burn that house down and cover it up. Yeah, they could have. But she went to the house before Castle's arrest. You don't know what's taken out after he was arrested to clean things up. Still, that's a huge loose end. I feel like that was something that they either missed or left in for the sake of the plot. Yeah, I think it is for the sake of the plot. Like you said in the, for the previous episode, that guy, the janitor, shouldn't have been alive. Yeah. And it kills me here what Mitch says to Karen that... Oh, Ben Urich's looking down, getting a kick out of all this. No, 
No, Ben Urich is looking down saying, that bitch killed me. This should be my story, not her byline. <laughs> yeah, true. But in Mitch's defense, he doesn't know that. Yeah, yeah, because for him, Karen was a friend. All right, so back we go to the Yakatomi building, where uh, Electra is showing off the pen that she got from Q Branch in the cutscene that we didn't see. <laughs> Yeah, so Matt can hear some interference from the pen, which is weird. And all of a sudden, there's a lot of hub-hub going on in this room. Yeah, and they all think they can just placate this little woman, pat her on the head, send her on her way. Yeah, if she is such a big investor, they can't tell her that something's come up goodbye. In fact, they would do everything they can to make sure... Nothing seems out of place. Mm -hmm. And major credit to the costume designer here. We have all these men in their ordinary dark suits. And there's Electra sitting at the head of the table in bold, bright red. Yeah. And the Louboutins. Oh, I wouldn't know. And there's that part of me again that just loves this, that wants her to revel in this because she has all the power here and these morons have no idea. Yeah. I was rooting for her 100%. Oh, yeah. Their ignorance only gives her more power. Correct. So she is hacking Roxanne's server here. And this is clearly the only reason she took this meeting. Much like Lucius Fox when he went to see Mr. Lau in Hong Kong. <laughs> we just need some sonar. So I mentioned Marcy a little while ago, and here she is. Foggy's... I don't want to call her an ex-girlfriend, more like um, an ex-booty call. Can you have an ex-booty call? I don't know. That's a good question. I never had one, so I don't know. I guess the whole point is there's not a relationship, so... Let's just say an ex-something. Yes. So Foggy is looking for some help here from Marcy because... Nelson and Murdoch barely have any clients at this point. Yeah. And at this point, the business side of me says, look, don't try to get some help from her. Just try to get a job and get out of the crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. And that's kind of what Marcy's saying, too. And she quickly drops a little Easter egg here about Reyes going after all the vigilantes, including Miss Jessica Jones. Yeah. One yeah. day, everybody. We'll get there. We promise. I cannot wait for that day. And Marcy confirms what Foggy was worried about, that Reyes is planning to use Frank as a stepping stone straight into the mayor's office. And I have no doubt her ambitions go far beyond that. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? More power to her. But she's going about it in an iffy way. But, you know, that's politics, right? Don't defend You've that You've got woman. to be a bit cutthroat. She's awful. She's a despicable human being. I'm not going to applaud her in this just because she's a woman. Because if she were a man, I don't think you'd be saying that. Perhaps, but all politicians are kind of like that. They shouldn't be. They shouldn't they be shouldn't despicable be. human beings. But I have no doubt you would not be saying power to him if she were a man. True. Fair. Yeah. And once again... We find the intrepid Karen Page doing all the fucking work. Yeah. While Foggy is getting drunk and Matt is doing God knows what. 
<laughs> Matt is reminiscing at this point, it would seem. But Karen is going through a whole lot of papers. Frankly, looking at that room, it just made my nose all itchy. Yes. And, you know, I feel the need to balance this out a little bit because here is the thing. Karen does still technically work for Matt and Foggy. They are the bosses. Mm -hmm. They told her we're done with this, we're not doing this. So it's not entirely fair to say she's doing all the work because nobody told her or asked her to do this. We know as the viewers that she's right, but she's rogue at this point. No one has a gun to her head. No one is pushing her. Matt and Foggy aren't pushing her to do this. So she's the only one putting the pressure on herself. Yeah. And to be fair, she's going rogue like 80% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, Matt and Foggy are not dictating the direction of the business. She is. Yeah, that's true. And she's not even getting paid. I think at this point she's getting paid. I, I I'll put it this way. I think she has been getting paid. They're not making money. So I don't know how any of them are living or surviving or paying for all that fucking booze at Josie's. But yeah, I don't think she's been working for free all this time is what I'm saying. I think they're paying with monopoly money at this point. <laughs> well, this is Hell's Kitchen. So it just has like old bills. It's Fisk's face on it. <laughs> and people must be putting horns on it you know <laughs> that makes a legal tender so karen and mitch realized that frank's family was actually like caught in some kind of crossfire in this gangland massacre mm -hmm. at the carousel it was the irish the mexican cartel and the dogs of hell biker gang so this is where the real conspiracy seems to come in for the show when it comes to Frank Castle's family. And of course, we will discuss it as it is in Daredevil, but it also comes to play in the Punisher series as well, especially in the second season. Yeah. And now we're off to dinner where Matthew Murdoch and Karen Page are both vying for the gold medal in the lying Olympics. Who will take it? <laughs> I think they can tie. Yeah, Karen's just had a normal day at work. Matt has a totally normal potential new client. All good here. That covers work. Yeah. And they are really struggling over here and being really awkward with each other. Yeah, well, I think the reason for that is twofold. One, this is the wrong restaurant for them. Neither one of them is mm -hmm. a super fancy person like this. And two, neither of them is fully present at this dinner because they're both thinking about other people. Yeah. Karen's thinking about Frank and that whole conspiracy. And Matt's thinking about Electra. Matt is always thinking about Electra. Yeah. And then think of the devil. She calls. And this is another way. She's forcing engagement because she's watching them. And to Matt's credit, he realizes like, shit, we can't stay here. I don't want her seeing this. But it also plays right into what she wants. Yeah, it does. And now she can be sure he's going to keep thinking about her the rest of the night. Mm -hmm. So what he does instead is lie to Karen again because they ran out of wine at a fancy restaurant. Well, it's not like she believes that. Yeah, I know. But he could have come up with something better. You know what Matt Murdock really needs? Improv classes. 
We need to get him to UCB or Second City. Really help him think on his feet a little bit more. (laughs) And here we get another very important flashback. So first, Matt was fine with stealing a car. Then he was fine Mm -hmm. with breaking into the gym. Now he's fine with just breaking into somebody's house. Yeah, you know, with the amount of glass that they break in this episode, I wonder how many pairs of shoes the two of them went through. Oh, my God. The glass between the glass and the fake blood budgets in this season. (laughs) I don't know how they made a profit over at Netflix, honestly. Well, they don't exactly show us the broken glass too much. So they kind of hint at it. So, you know, save some money there. Yeah. And I have to wonder, why is Matt so okay with this? Just because nobody's getting killed or because, oh, he's a bad guy in business with her super shady father? Like, What's his rationale for breaking the law here so blatantly? The rationale is that he's not thinking with his head. Yeah. Yeah. Keeps coming back to that. Yeah. He doesn't give a shit. And he has that in him. He has that darker side, which is what she keeps referring to. And he's letting it come out to play with her. (sighs) Don't say letting it come out to play, especially when she's about to eat food off of him. I can't. Please spare me. (laughs) Even with him fully clothed, I can't handle it. Yeah. I didn't understand why she didn't, you know, rip his shirt open that was a bit confusing (sighs) and then she just starts destroying this guy's house because she can let's break everything in sight and guess what matt's turned on by it right he's turned on by everything she does yeah they must have been into some really kinky shit yeah yeah i'm gonna agree with you on that i don't want to know oh i want to (laughs) know I could probably take some tips from her. Yeah, I mean, you're more living vicariously, so yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I ask myself here, is this the real Matt Murdock? Is this him getting drunk on her and letting his true self out? Because not only is he turned on by it, he joins in. He says this is the moment he chooses to say that he belongs with her. That speaks Mm -hmm. volumes. It does. But uh, turns out, yeah, the homeowner, oh, not actually on vacation. He's just upstairs. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't see this shit coming. Yeah, me neither the first time I saw it. And neither did Matt. <laughs> the guy who owns this house, who Electra is about to uh, tie up to a chair, is Roscoe Sweeney, the guy who had Matt's father killed. Yeah. Twist. (laughs) Well, yeah, twist. And in this situation, this is like a prime example of her grooming Matt. Mm -hmm. And she encourages him to let it out, which he does to a certain point. Mm -hmm. So back in present day, Matt hightails Karen out of that restaurant and they head to a little hole in the wall that has a lot of charm. Yeah. The food looked good. Yeah, they didn't belong in that fancy place to begin with. I mean, it wasn't super fancy in the first place. You and I come from different worlds. I have never eaten at a restaurant with a wine list. Are you serious? Yes. Well, okay then. (laughs) I'm gonna shut up now. 
And it's interesting here. Karen says she wishes Matt could see the restaurant. And the way Charlie Cox plays this is so perfect. I can, if you describe it to me. There's just enough of a pause there. Yeah. That there's a part of him that really wants to tell Karen the truth. I don't know. There is that pause, yes. It could also be interpreted as a slip because he's so enamored by her. And then he realizes his mistake and says, if you can tell me. Uh, Potato, potato on this one, because I think he was speaking very deliberately. Okay. But I honestly got a bit pissed off with him. Like, he's just playing her. Yeah. God damn it, Matt. (laughs) And now guess what? We can't have sex again either because that might make might make Matt Murdock happy. You know what, Matt? This isn't Buffy. Okay, you're not Angel. (laughs) You're allowed to have sex. I was just going to say that. (laughs) Yeah, that's my way of reminding everyone that I am indeed 34 and not actually 85. Maybe he's afraid that if he has that one moment of pure happiness, he's going to change from Matt to Daredevil. But Amy, don't you know how rare that is? (laughs) God, I'm 14 again. (laughs) And they're just on fire in every way possible. Yeah, they are. And she's telling him, come upstairs. What is wrong with you, man? Yeah, but he just can't have this. And that is telegraphed to us in a great way. As soon as he leaves Karen's steps, he walks into a crime scene. And it's like the universe reminding him, you can't have a normal life, Matthew Murdoch. This is where you belong. This is your duty. Yeah. I mean, he's not exactly walking into a crime scene. It's about like how he had faded out all that noise and all that misery. And once he walked away, it all came back. And now he feels guilty yet again, because while he was off having his perfect night, somebody was getting mugged or hurt in some way and he didn't stop it. This is where I say, you know what, Matt, get over yourself. And that's exactly what pissed me off in the first episode when he says when I take a night off people get hurt he isn't wrong it's not all on him it isn't right he's not wrong about that but others have to step up to the plate and do the jobs they're actually paid and sworn to do yeah and now we go back to Roscoe Sweeney here who really isn't the brightest crowd in the box is he no he's just all bluster yeah not in a position to bluster He thinks he can try to get away with it and maybe scare these young kids who are playing a prank. Right, right. Instead, he gets his face bashed in by Matt. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. This guy killed his father. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Electra is pushing him to go further. Oh, yes. Because she wants the blood. She gets Mm -hmm. off on it. And not only that. Absolutely. She's the Joker in this moment. She wants Matt to break his code and prove that he's just as dark as her. And then once he has that realization, he'll come over to the dark side. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking that she'd also use the blackmail against him of committing a murder. If he ever changes his mind and tries to step away, she would absolutely use it. But 
till he was with her, they'd kind of be like the couple in true blood, you know, fucking in the midst of blood. It says something about that show that I'm not even sure which couple you're talking about. Yeah, that's why I kept it vague. Yeah. (laughs) And this also shows us that Electra did not do this for Matt. She did this entirely for herself. She did this for herself to find a companion. Mm -hmm. This wasn't about Matt. This was about sort of giving birth to a new version of Matt. Right. She doesn't care about his father. She doesn't give a shit about his grief and all of that. Because those are, uh, you know, human emotions that she isn't familiar with. Yeah, but she knows enough to know that this is a good tool to use. Mm -hmm. Yep. To Matt's credit, he sticks by his code here, refuses to kill Sweeney, calls the cops instead. Mm -hmm. How exactly did they swing that one? I don't know. I feel like that was a bit of a hole, too. Like, what's the fallout of all this? Their fingerprints are everywhere. They're calling it in. Is he doing this anonymously and just hightailing it out of there, leaving him tied up? Like, Yeah, I'm pretty sure he would have done that. I mean, she left immediately. Yeah. Because who knows what other crime scenes her fingerprints are all over. Yeah, that's true. And because Matt is a masochist back in the present day, he heads over to Electro's penthouse. Yeah, see, this is another perfect example where she called him and told him, consider this me firing you. He could have just taken it sat down quietly and not gone to confront her. Yep. So all this time where he's just telling her to get out of his life, he's going back. He's doing it. Yep. She knows him like a book. Mm -hmm. Knew exactly how to play him. And he fell for it. So in this scenario, it's completely on him. Yes. Yep. He needs to take responsibility for the bullshittery that he does. Absolutely. And he refuses to do that. And another head slap moment here. He wants to know why Electra took him to Sweeney's mansion. I literally turned into Andy Dufresne in that moment. How could you be so obtuse? I don't know if it's obtuse or if he's just in denial. Like, dude, how do you not see this? Exactly. How have you not seen that in 10 fucking years? Mm-hmm. And I love what they did with Electra's penthouse here, which is to say they did nothing. It is Spartan. It is devoid of character and it's cold. Does it remind you of any other place? Fisk's house. Fisk's house had furniture. Mm-hmm. But it was more like a museum. Mm-hmm. There was no warmth there. It was carefully curated. There was none of him in it. Mm-hmm. See, I'm not convinced this is her penthouse because she said this building is not in my name. I assumed it was under her father's or one of his companies. No, because then they would have been able to trace through the name to know that she was the culprit. It depends on how deeply it's buried, I guess, under shell companies. Under shell companies, yes. But I don't think this is the place where she was actually staying. This was a staging area to get the Yakuza there. Hmm. Then how would Matt have known to go there? I don't know. How did he know in the later episodes that she's at this particular rooftop looking from that angle? I'll have to find the specific scene. There are way too many rooftops in the show for me to answer that question. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, I think it's just circumstantial that he, we, we assume that he knew about this place. 
she left some breadcrumbs for him. Now, here's another question. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I think Electra is full of shit about loving Matt. But does Mm -hmm. she know she's full of shit? Does she actually think she loves him or loved him? She's not capable of loving anyone. But how self-aware is she? I think she is in love with the idea of what they could have been. Infatuated. Infatuated, but she's not in love with Matt. Yeah. In the sense that she's selflessly in love with him. But she's in love with the idea of how they could be this perfect dark couple together. Well put. I think you're right. And how he would serve her needs with her darker impulses. Yeah, for sure. I think she is self-aware to a certain point, but she's still too much in love with the idea to realize it's not about him. Definitely. And now here come the Yakuza, straight to the penthouse. And yes, Matt, of course she knew you would show up because you're a goddamn marionette. (laughs) Yes, she was so sure that she had his costume ready for him she is so goddamn smart and this is where i have in my notes electra and vanessa should get together for tea i'm sure they hit it off now that would be the real power couple (laughs) although i wonder if vanessa and electra would actually have more of a relationship that's kind of antagonistic like matt and frank because vanessa would see herself as better than electra because she's building a man up not tearing him down. Yeah, but in this case, Electra wouldn't be concerned about Matt if she gets someone else with the same darker impulses. She'd drop Matt like a hot potato. Yes, that's true. I don't think Vanessa would do the same. I agree with you. But I would not be surprised if Vanessa would try to use Electra to bring Fisk and Vanessa up higher. Oh, absolutely. If somebody out there wants to write this fan fiction for us, you go right ahead. I will definitely read that. (laughs) And as we wrap up episode five here, here's what else I will say about Electra. That makes me absolutely hate myself. (laughs) This is number five. I have to respect her to a certain degree. And it makes me furious. On a scale of... One to passing a kidney stone. How painful was that? (laughs) It's up there. It's up Mm -hmm. there. I have no doubt that's why I have a pain in my low back right now. It's got electric written all over it. It has nothing to do (laughs) with muscular support. Number one, Electra has clearly spent years training, honing her skills. Mm -hmm. And two, she is so adept at using men's own weaknesses and prejudices against them. Mm -hmm. And that, for a female character, is a very empowering thing. And that's why I don't see her as a femme fatale, tropey type character. They write her better than that. Yes. Because so much of the responsibility is on Matt. It is. And she is far more layered and more of a three-dimensional person than just a femme fatale. Yes. And, you know, throughout season one, 
we talk so much about how similar in a lot of ways Matt and Wilson Fisk were. And I can't help but see that again here because both of them end up with women who have all the power in the relationship. Yeah. Except one is supporting and one isn't. Yes, though she thinks she is. She thinks she is doing what's best for Matt. That's what Electra tells herself. In reality, she's doing what's best for her. Right. But she doesn't have the self-awareness of Vanessa. Yeah, but in Electra's mind, what's best for her is what's best for Matt. Right, right. It's the ultimate codependency. Mm-hmm. And we are going to get a lot more backstory on Electra understanding how she came to be the way she is. Yeah. All right. So that brings us to the end of episode five. Matt's not the only one who's naive out there. We actually thought we were going to cover four episodes today. Right. (laughs) Speaking of lack of self-awareness. Well, you live and learn. So as we said, guys, you will find our commentary on season two of Daredevil, episodes six and seven in your feed right away because got to keep to that schedule. Because Marvel just keeps throwing things at us with very little warning. Yeah, the crazy guy is coming out right now. We're doing this for you, Oscar Isaac. I hope you appreciate it. Sure, yeah, we're doing it for him. Uh Uh-huh. Whatever you tell yourself. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) Thanks to all you madams for joining us today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. Enjoy episode six and seven in your feed right now. Yeah, in the meantime, I'll be watching the rest of season two through my fingers. In the meantime, <laughs> come chat with us on Twitter and Instagram at Marvel Madams. A lot happening with Daredevil right now, guys. Let us know what you think. Yeah, and for more content, check out our website, themarvelousmadams.com, where Infinity Stones are a girl's best friend. Can you move your pop filter higher because your peas are popping? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I simultaneously never want you to say that again and want to hear you say it all the time. Your peas are popping? Let's not. You know what? I just decided actually I'm going to go with never want to hear that again. (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha